0: David Suisse, welcome to my podcast. Today we have Bernard Henri Lévy, the world renowned philosopher, journalist, author. Bernard, welcome.
1: Thank you. Happy to be with you tonight, today.
0: It's difficult for me because I'm dying to speak to you in French, but we're going to do it in English. Peut-être qu'on dira quelques mots en français pour nos lecteurs, uh, pour nos écouteurs en français.
1: I'm sorry for my pathetic English. That's the most (laughs) important. uh, I have to speak in English, but I must uh, warn you it may be
0: dramatic. Okay, and we're warning you too, I might go off in French. Uh, I've been fascinated by your, your journey. Uh, you studied philosophy and then you end up going for the adventure. You're not just a person of the mind, which is like so many philosophers are person of the mind. You also, at which point in your life did you decide you had to go uh, to the grounds? You've been in so many places around the world where they had conflicts and wars and so forth. And at which point in your life did you realize that you were not just going to be a person of the mind?
1: Immediately. There was no special point. I decided uh, since the very start uh, that the best thought is the thought which can be proved by experience, that the best thought was the thought that matches with real things, and that the best way to make feel, the most honest way, to, to, to speak and to make philosophy is to go and check with your own eyes. So for me, uh, thinking and experiencing, being in the field of ideas, in the sky of ideas and on the field of things is like walking on my two legs. I walk as many of us but not as all intellectuals I try to walk on two legs and it
0: nourishes your mind it nourishes the intellect and the philosophy the more experience you have on the ground
1: of course it does yeah. um, not only it nourishes but uh, uh, you have to you have to live as you think and you have to think as you live there cannot be there cannot be a separation between the two you cannot preach for human rights for example and when human rights are violated raped uh, you cannot be absent you cannot as i do be a defender of israel as i am i am a, 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 a real constant uh, defender of Israel uh, each time Israel is delegitimized, this time Israel is attacked I'm, I'm on the side of Israel but it cannot be just in ideas you have to act you have to prove you have to put that in your life that's that's why as I tell it in my in my in my as I recall it in my new book since for, since 50 years at the end of the day each time each time in my lifetime Israel was under attack. Uh, under war I was on the ground I was with my Israeli uh, sisters and brother during the Lebanon war in Gaza I was during the first war in Gaza I was the only foreigner to be authorized first to have the honor but also to take the time to go with an Israeli special unit inside Gaza to be witness uh, of what was happening And and then I wrote about this war. And then I wrote about the question to know if Israel was turning its back to the true creed of Zionism or not and so on and so on. And my opinion was no, does not turn its back. Uh, Israel was keeping uh, 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 in faithfulness to the ideal of Zionism. But I wanted to see first. I just want... I'm not a philosopher of propaganda. I'm not a philosopher of just ideas. I like to see first. And then my, my, my words are more outspoken and I think just more true.
0: You know, I have a son in the Israeli army now. And when I read the news reports of things going on there and I find out that he's gone now in the West Bank and when I visit him on his base, it's a completely different experience that I'm going through and what you're saying is getting a sense of what's happening on the ground. And I think one of the reasons we've seen such a schism between the Jews of Israel and Jews of America is there's a lack of appreciation here for the facts on the ground and the reality that Israelis go through.
1: This is one of the reasons, there are other reasons for this schism, Mm -hmm. but the main point is that for me, this schism is dramatic. This schism has to be overcome. If I have one of the fights of my life, of this moment of my life, is to overcome this schism. If the two jury, the jury in Israel and the jury in the West, and especially in America, divorce, really, it is the start of a war between moral, moral, intellectual war between Jews. That will be dramatic for all of us. All the women and men of goodwill have to do their best to maintain maybe the dispute, of course, but the dialogue, the brotherhood between Israel and the diaspora. I'm really... Israel without the diaspora would be another, uh, another Israel. The diaspora without Israel would be another diaspora. We, we owe us in diaspora... Part of our strength, part of our pride, part of our uh, way of standing firm by our uh, beliefs to Israel. We owe that to the existence of Israel. And Israel owes part of its values, part of this uh, chosenness also, its peculiarity to the existence of a diaspora. They feed each other. I wonder if one of the problems here is that we elevate
0: certain values and character traits above others. For example, compassion, integrity, and, and self-criticism, and yet, curiosity is way, way down at the bottom of the list. And, and for me, curiosity is essential to this idea of creating more empathy and mutual understanding between the two people. And this is I, one of the things I'm seeing on both sides, an utter absence of curiosity. And when you don't have that, you have instant judgment based on cerebral Israel is just an idea, an abstract idea.
1: It's not only curiosity, of course you are right, uh, there is a lack of curiosity, but there is a lack also of, the, not in some, in some cases, a lack of Jewish thinking and Jewish intelligence. The, the fanaticism, the intolerance to the thought of the other, the certainness that you are true, true that you are right and that the other one is wrong, this is not a Jewish attitude. Mm-hmm. If you the Jewish attitude taught by the Talmud, teaches that uh, true truth is always uncertain. Uh, you have to have a dialogue, but you never know if if it is the other or you who who will be right. And this attitude, which I see so often among American Jews, to say, our uh, The Jews of Israel are wrong. They did not get it. And the reverse in Israel, this is un-Jew. To be a Jew means to have the conversation indefinitely open, constantly open. You know how the, the Talmud works. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is an endless uh, a chain of paradoxes of uh, replies, who create a new questions, uh, which creates a new reply, and so on and so on. But
0: not all questions are created equal. Some questions are born in cynicism, and, of, course and, of and course,
1: and bad faith. But and I think in the Talmud, but ba- ba- bad faith, bad faith has to be, has to be at the peak, at, at the bottom, at the core. Yes, but between men and women of good faith. Uh, the dialogue must prevail over the the, the, um,
0: uh, excommunication. I wonder if part of the seduction of morality and truth is that it's really empowering. Because if I feel I own some big moral truth, and I wonder if we're getting sucked into this, especially here in America, when you hear so much criticism of Israel, people put themselves up on a pedestal. Whereas if you have to study cultural aspects like music and art, maybe it reminds you that you're not a musician or an artist and it's not as empowering, but there's something really seductive about morality, social justice, and there's a chutzpah to the criticism of Israel that I see here so much of, that completely ignores the soul of Israel, the incredible cultural renaissance of Israel, this, all these other factors. And I'm wondering, you as a philosopher, whether you
1: think there's some merit to that. As a philosopher, I can tell you that uh, the very creation of Israel was a secular miracle. Uh, that it was and it is an uh, everlasting uh, uh, exception to all the political rules it never happened in the history of mankind that uh, a people decides overnight to make a state and to make it democratic and that it works. After the darkest moment in our history when we had every excuse to wallow in victimhood for decades. After the darkest moment of our history coming with people coming from all over the countries, with people coming from countries that never knew what democracy meant. And And after
0: 19 centuries of being people of the book and all of a sudden we have to be people of the gun overnight by necessity people
1: of the gun, people of politics, people of uh, social organization, all that was so new. It was so new for the Jews who came from uh, uh, Germany, Nazi Germany, uh, who came from uh, Soviet Union, uh, who came from Arabic countries. It was so new. And there was this miracle of a democracy built overnight it never happened it was not even dreamt by the philosophers of the political thing so this is what has to be reminded and what has what has to be reminded too in that this miracle did not just happen 70 years ago and uh, and vanished or or uh, disappeared by little bit it's renewing itself every it day it is still renewing and it is still vibrant. And you can be, you can agree or not agree with the policy of a government. I'm not very comfortable myself with the uh, current po- policy of the current government. But what I must say is that I know very few democracies in the world, not only in the area, in the world, as vibrant, as strong than the Israeli democracy. Israel could be... We often hear that Israel is the the only democracy in the area, you know, in the region. Mm-hmm. It's more than that. Israel should be considered as an example for <laughs> every democracy in the world, including the French one or the Amer- or the mm-hmm. or the the, the, American. the the American one. So uh, this, for me, is what. And and I I said that recently to to a young guy and a group of young guys, partisans of the BDS movement. I told them, but you are so crazy. Even uh, from the point of view of your liberal values, from the point of view of liberal values, Israel, far from being despised, should be praised. If there is an embodiment somewhere of the values which you liberals pretend to, 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 to praise, like me, I'm a liberal too, it is in Israel the multi-ethnicity, the tolerance to the, to, to the other, uh, the transparency. the fi- Israel is very one of the most shining examples of what a liberal democracy can mean. And this, I try to say it each time I can when I go in a campus of an American university.
0: I want to go back uh, just a minute to the miracle of Israel, uh, that you just referred to, I call it uh, c'est la chair de poule." It's the goosebumps of Israel. And for some reason, love is always denigrated as not an intellectual idea. There's a we have a problem here among so many liberal American Jews or Zionists to express love. Love is not something that's intellectual, something that's meaningful. It's dismissed. If you express love, that's for the right wingers. That's for the blind supporters of Israel. I'm here, the real way to help Israel and to love Israel is through public self-criticism. What is it about love that is so alienating to
1: intellectuals? In, my, in this last book, The Empire and the Five Kings, I say two things. Number one, I recall the saying, the, say, the word of Sigmund Freud, which says that uh, what makes social link what makes human being uh, feeling together uh, is less love than hatred. Hatred is a better cement, a better concrete to make a society than love. This, now, yeah, this wo- is the fact. You make society by hating each right. other and you vote and you vote for who you hate least you vote for you who you hate least you 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 vote in a situation of anger and so on and so on. so this I rem- I re- I remind I recall that in, uh, in my book. the second thing which I recall in my book is that we are now more than, uh, in any time in our recent history, in a time of hate, Donald Trump was elected in an America full of hate. Uh, uh, Marine Le Pen in France is uh, uh, prospering, is uh, is uh, climbing on the polls, and Jean Luc Mélenchon, the extreme left, is growing in a world de- uh, uh, designed by by hate. We are living in the world in a world of hate and hate or hatred. Uh, is the biggest, the best fuel, the best aliment, the best food for populists and fascism, whether they are of the left or of the right.
0: We're obsessed with uh, anti-Semitism here in America. It always fascinates me when we hear about anti-Semitism in Algeria, any place around the world. So we have Jews here who have no relatives in France, don't know anyone, but as soon as we hear the situation, it really concerns us. You live there, Bernard. Uh, I can't imagine a better person to ask about the situation of France. We have a tendency to be reductionist and to say, how bad is it? You know, we reduce everything down to these simple questions, but I can't help myself asking you, how bad is it right now for the Jews of France, if you can add some nuance to that question.
1: If uh, those who are listening to us uh, have a look at this book, uh, uh, even quick, they will have the the, the reply uh, in a much more articulated way than what I'm going to say now. But in a few words, uh, number one, there is a... Uh, uh, it's, it's normal to be anxious. There is a huge rise of anti-Semitism, anti-Semitism in France and in Europe. Uh, and not only a rise of anti-Semitism, but an anti-Semitism that kills, that p- spills blood. In France, since uh, 12, 13 years, since the death of Ilan Alimi, there has been a lot of shot people, of dead people, of murdered people because of anti-Semitism, number one. Number two, this anti-Semitism takes a new form, a new shape. And it is more or less, this is what I demonstrate in the book mathematically, not just by arguments, not just by saying it. I demonstrate it is mostly based on the hate of Israel. The hate of Israel, the anti-Israelism, is a new uh, garment, the new dress, the new dressing, the new whatever wording of anti-Semitism. Number three, the situation is far from being desperate and it is not time to leave uh, europe this is my position in my book for two reasons number one because the jews today have some allies which they did not have in the 30s for example they have some real allies as you have jews in america in america in america you have some allies who are lost of people a lot of people including and especially the neo-christians They are big battalions of allies. They are sometimes embarrassing allies maybe, but they are faithful allies and it changed completely the situation. Same in France. In France, our allies today are the old Christians, the Catholics especially, and, and also the Protestants. This is one difference which makes me hope and which makes me think that time has not come to withdraw, to fly away, to escape. The number two uh, point is that the institutions, the state, the law, those who make the policy, are with the Jews. This is crucial. Uh, in, uh, in, in my country, I, I'm sorry to enter into details for an American audience, but i do it in one minute. In 1936, at the time of the popular front, 1936, you had an election, uh, the left won the power, uh, the liberals of the time, Leon Blum. I don't know if the name is familiar. Mm-hmm. Leon Blum gained, gained won the elections, and there was an election for the the speaker of the our Congress, the head of the parliament, and for this election there was two candidates. One of them, who was at the edge of winning, was the fiercest, the most cruel terrible vulgar anti-semite you could imagine his name was uh, uh, Xavier Vallat he he was going to become a few years after in charge of Jewish affairs under the pro-Nazi administration of Marshal Pétain so what i mean is that at the time of front Popula- popular front you we were at the edge of having a parliament directed presided by a devoted anti-semite this today is unthinkable. When you had the last weeks in France, some anti-Semitic acts, some graffiti in the street, some profanation of graves in the Jewish cemetery, all the political class stood up and said, we are with the Jews. So, including Macron. Include, the start, speech starting, at, uh, starting with Macron, the grief who, evening. who made the great speech. So, number one, It's true anti-Semitism is on the rise. It is true this anti-Semitism kills. It is true this anti-Semitism has a new face. Number four, it's not time to leave the battlefield to these stubborn, stupid, illiterate anti-Semites. My family contributed to build France. I'm not going to leave this beautiful country to these ugly people. You know, my, my father, when we were living in Casablanca,
0: he he had to decide whether we moved to israel france or canada and he went to visit france in 1963 for a week and his friend told him on the way to synagogue i left the ta, ta kippah take off your keeper and yeah. it's so interesting how 50 years ago he saw stuff coming. One of the things that concerns us, Bernard, is precisely what you said, which is we have such amazing support from the government, and you see these armed guards outside of synagogues and French schools and so forth, and still there comes a point where there's just so much a government can do against street violence.
1: My theory uh, in my book, and not only in my book, is that there is a battle going on. There is a struggle going on. It's very harsh, very fierce. It may be lost. It may be won, mm. and I am well decided to 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 win. No, that's the Jewish way. That's the Jewish way. The yeah. Jewish. And now here in America,
0: it's a, it's not exactly the same situation because we always go back and forth. America has been amazing for the Jews, and then we get signs of anti semitism, Semit- anti anti-Semitism, especially with social media. It's a, it's it's magnified. For that
1: reason, and you have Pittsburgh. You and had you had the massacre of Pittsburgh. Correct, correct. Which in was last, the uh, first
0: time in American history I know. that somebody came into a synagogue. So,
1: but we're I, lo- I I hope it is not a sign. I hope it is not a sign. Yeah, for- and I, it,
0: you know, I often wonder, Bernard, if uh, part of the price we have to pay for our amazing success and power and influence here in America, is that we're going to always sort of ignite some jealousy and some envy. And I wonder sometimes whether a a certain amount of anti-Semitism is just the price we have to pay for not becoming pathetic victims who just fail in life, you know, because...
1: Uh, Some some anti-Semitism is probably inevitable. Uh, I don't, uh, alas, I don't imagine, I don't believe in a world without anti-Semitism. But but the question is not that. Should we, uh, uh, shall we contain it or let it expand? This is a real question. We have to contain it by... By our force, force of the intelligence, force of the spirit, force of the study, and force of uh, (laughs) the organization.
0: Without losing our sense of humor, because our sense of humor has been a huge part of the love affair between American and the Jews. So in your new book, uh, The Empire and the Five Kings, America's Abdication and the Fate of the World... There's something you wrote that really caught my attention. The American nation, as Hegel sees it, has its strengths and its power. It has waged victorious wars, it will give birth to artists, writers, thinkers, whale hunters, heroes and monsters, slaves and masters, who will battle each other without mercy. But it lacks, and will continue for a long time to lack, something of that splendor, that self-confidence, that hubris. That characterize, for example, the absolute power of 17th century France or Renaissance Italy. It lacks, and will long lack, the imprimatur, the scar of total authority.
1: Yes, and, and uh, that's in the chapter when I when when I have a, I make a theory about the American imperialism that will never look like the European colonialisms, for example, France, England, Portugal, and so on. The American empire. Is a reluctant empire, is a self-impeached empire, is um, an unwilling empire. I have a quote in the book. I say that Americans are involuntary romans. They are romans, inheritors of of Roma and um, Roman Empire, but involuntary. This is what is sometimes a weakness, but very often a strength of America. And at least uh, this is one of the things which are eminently respectable in this country. Do
0: you think part of the American romance is this obsession with winning and losing? So we won the first two great wars of the 20th century, and then all of a sudden we ended up with these wars that were very difficult to win, whether it was Korea, Vietnam, and then Iraq, and Americans hate to lose. And I wonder if those experiences like in Iraq, which is seen generally as a failure, has sort of given war a bad name here in America.
1: War should keep a bad a bad name, but but intervention, w- intervention this thing intervention, that you, yeah, yeah. That you, that you exactly. long for in the world exactly book. exactly uh, it could be as you say and it would be it would be it would be a pity because in the DNA of America you have this will to commit you have this will. To, to defend your creed and your values you had this will when these values are dramatically uh, offended wherever in the world to commit and to help uh, the shining city upon the hill which was one of the credo the creeds of the founding fathers of America is today at the minute where we are speaking is the Creed of so many people whom I know in Darfur in dark places parts of Africa, in forgotten wars, in the bottom, in the asshole of the world, you have people who consider America as a shining city upon the hill, who who keep hope, these people, they keep hope because they see at the end of a tunnel, of their tunnel, they see the light of a candle which has a name, which is America. So should we discourage them? Or should we remain faithful to them, these people? You you know my reply. It's for that that I wrote my whole book. And
0: the last time we tasted this kind of romance from an American leader was when George Bush, after 9 one spoke about the spread of freedom throughout that you know, that part of the world. And it, it, it a lot of that language was quite romantic. And it turns out that it, was, it felt like it was too black and white, that there was a little naivete involved with his intervention. And I wonder if what we'll need is a leader that can balance the romance of spreading great American liberal values with the complexity
1: of local geopolitics. It's exactly what you need, what we need. And, you know, George, George W. Bush... Uh, we might all of us consider very soon that he was not so bad he was so constantly insulted in your country and outside and in my country there will be i'm pretty sure of that a re-evaluation not by all he did bad things, the Patriot Act One, the Patriot Act Two, the uh, 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 attacks or uh, the limits to, to some uh, uh, democratic principle in this country. But this part of romance, this uh, Wilsonian aspect of his policy, we will reevaluate it especially when we will compare it to what happened with his successor.
0: On on the last note, I wonder sometimes if what we need is that the leader of the free world, instead of talking so big, if the romance came to a woman who got raped in an Iranian jail, and that became a cause, if we start with the particular, the infinitely small, to make the larger point that we fight for the values, so many of these situations get ignored in favor of the big talk.
1: That's exactly what I, what I mean, exactly what I preach, and exactly the reason why I wrote this book. This book is about this lady raped, violated, burnt alive in, uh, in the depth of Pakistan, and the big narrative of the American uh, uh, romance, in a, to speak like uh, the American ballad, to speak like Philip Roth.
0: Is it true that after you came back from Durban, you went to a synagogue in Lyon and said, maintenant me comme un juif? My brother remembers that. Probably. Yeah. If your brother <laughs> exactly. remembers
1: It's probably true.
0: So, on that note, thank you uh, very much. Thank you very much, Bernard. J'ai promis que j'allais dire quelques mots en français, alors voilà. Je l'ai dit. Pour maman et pour toute la famille. Merci beaucoup. Thank you so much for joining us, Bernard.
1: Thank you so much, my friend. Thank and,
0: you. And for everything you do, for our people and for
1: the world of thought.